Ah, yes, friends, on a Monday, OGP, the one giant podcast, as we come in off of what was, frankly, a delightful recovery for the NFL. The playoff football was crisp, clean, and one heck of a finish on a Sunday night. I'm Adam Arbor covering the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets podcast. He's Andy Makowitz, season generational ticket holder for the New York football giants and uh, supposedly warm weather soaking down in Florida. How are we, sir, as we dive in on not only the NFL playoff picture, updating the New York football giants head coaching search, and then talking about key dates and players this offseason for the newly hired GM Joe Shane to consider. Adam. I didn't play a single snap of any of those games and I'm exhausted. Like I am tired. Like the amount of cocktails that I had to put down watching the game go back and forth, especially that Sunday night game. I mean, that that was literally the greatest 36 hours of football ever. And you know, my argument is that it, it finished with arguably the greatest game ever played. Like I was at the edge of my seat the entire time and it took, heroic efforts of someone to win it rather than someone like lose it on a fumble or a botched play. So to me, it's like the the heroics on both sides. You didn't want to see that someone was going to lose. What a weekend it was. It really was. It was a great set of games. Obviously the bills there in Kansas city, the back and forth, incredible battle. And you're talking about two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL as well. Doesn't hurt to watch potential New York football giants, future head coach, Brian Dable orchestrating just one heck of a couple of games really uh, for the bills here, even though they come up short. And to your point too, like you go back to the day before, obviously it's still a really good game between the Rams and the bucks, but in a game, like it's a, it's a great comeback effort from Tom Brady and the Bucks, but it's all predicated on a fumble by the Rams. All of a sudden, creates a short field, and that really fuels it. Still exciting, but the, the Chiefs and the Bills was just like high powered, all thrills, all gas, no breaks. Like let's get after this thing. And the amount of scoring that happened in the last ninety seconds of this game was absolutely insane. Twenty five points were scored in the last two minutes of a game. Like think think about how ridiculous that is. Twenty five points in an NFL playoff game. Like it, it's just unthinkable. And you know, listen, it, it started as the appetizer with with the Bengals and the Titans, where mm-hmm. that kind of that game was kind of just back and forth. The Bengals won it on a field goal. Loved then it. then you know you get to the salad Loved course, it. which is watching Aaron Rodgers eat crow and and lose in in the Saturday night game. Um, you know, terrible the, the fact that they go out at Lambeau Field again. And then, you know, people are saying that that Brady comeback was going to be great. And like you said, finishes off with the Chiefs Bills. Cannot be happier with watching all of that football. And we've got some great games coming up next weekend, too. You know, while the Giants are in the offseason, the NFL's still alive. I'm loving both pieces of it. Yeah, listen, 49ers will uh, head out to, well, head out to, they'll just be in LA, in California, taking on the Rams. So nice for both of those teams, really, because they'll go home and then essentially be at home for it. And then you get the Bengals going to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Little little upstart engines that could. The host battle, man, I was right on the edge. That Bills game could have been everything for me. Could have gone three out of four. Instead, we're pretty tightly uh, knit there in that one. We both went two for two over the weekend. We both suffered uh, on the Packers as well. So we'll continue to battle through that as we move forward. It is, man. It, these are going to make for some exciting games. Be interested to see as we move through the week if either you or I start to uh, tell any little bit you know, around where we're leaning going into those big AFC NFC championship matchups in the meantime, though, the New York football giants, uh, I came in, did the solo episode, just highlighting that obviously the New York football giants went with their 
first first round interview, their first second round interview, and ultimately the GM hired Joe Shane, assistant GM from the Buffalo Bills. Obviously excited about that as we head into the now head coaching search update around it. And the uh, just you know your quick two cents as we we look into where the Giants may be going for their head coaching role. You and I were both probably Adam Peters from the 49ers first and Joe Shane a very close second. Totally happy with it. Very excited about it. Is that the general consensus? Yeah, it is. And, you know, Joe Shane was the leader in the clubhouse from the start. It sounded like they wanted him in, as you said, for the first interview. They wanted to go through the process very quickly with him. Um, and the Giants just loved everything that that he was was preaching. And, you know, it, it, a couple of positives have come out of this overall. The second one is they talked about Adam Peters and they said he really impressed. They said it was neck and neck between him and Joe Shane. And like it was a very difficult decision between the two of them. And guess what? That's what good organizations should say, regardless of how close it actually was, because you want candidates to come in. You want you know, if they don't get the job to still be like, Hey, let's always leave, leave the door open in case we end up coming back together in the future. And, you know, to say that Joe Shane impressed more than anyone and he blew all the other candidates out of the water, you're basically pouring dirt on the guys that you potentially were going to hire. So I like the process. I like the candidates that came out of this coach, you know, this GM search. And I like the way that they handled it at the end. And I'm excited that Joe Shane got the job. Like we said, he was, you know, one to one a between Peters, uh, you know, in, in our minds, glad he's in there doing work and he's getting started right away and it really felt like too you know you put adam peters in there you put ryan poles in there this felt like unlike other years and pulling the trigger too fast or just maybe not having a great crop of candidates to pull from this really ultimately felt like it was an opportunity for the giants to go i don't feel bad no matter what they do right they could have gone with any three of them and i still would have been happy obviously we had our own personal hierarchy now on to the head coaching. Obviously, again, leader in the clubhouse for GM was Joe Shane. Seems like leader in the clubhouse for the head coaching job is going to be Brian Dable. But after Dable was brought in, after uh, Leslie Frazier also got his turn, defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, Lou Anaruma, Bengals defensive coordinator, who probably doesn't sound familiar, although it should. He was on the 2018 staff underneath Pat Shermer with the New York Football Giants. He got in for an interview as well. Uh, there's a couple other guys here, you know, Patrick Graham on the staff. He's getting some traction, going to interview with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you've heard about Brian Flores coming in here at some point for his interview. Dan Quinn is waiting in the wings as well. First on Lou, are you surprised that this name can't, came up or does this have some sentiment of the New York football giants like, and, and Patrick Graham's going to get a chance to interview as well, by the way, but the giants do like to at least have guys that at some point along the way, They've liked, had a positive connection with, and want to, whether it's see if there's some potential there, or also, I think there is, in a very positive way, I mean, it's the most positive way, every team tries to help elevate people that have been connected to their organization, and you don't get to get a head coaching job until you've interviewed a couple times, and sometimes that's as much a part of the process as anything. So you bring up a very, very good point. So before I go down to Lou, I'm going to start with Dan Quinn. So Dan Quinn is now a name that's going to be coming in. We'll talk about him in a second, but you know, giant fans are kind of lukewarm on him. Like, Oh, he's kind of a retread. He, he had Kyle Shanahan. I don't know if I really want him. And, and so like you have giant fans that are against that. Then you have Lou and Aruma who like, you know, has familiarity with the giants was with Joe Shane for, for five, five years, basically in Miami. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't say you don't want to retread, but you also don't want a guy that that you don't know the name of, or you're like, who is that guy? Like, right. I, I like this search because they're they're literally saying no stone left unturned, right? Like, yeah. 
We want to get all of these capable people. I mean, you know, you, you look at uh, Brandon Bean hiring Joe Shane after being away from each other for seven to 10, 10 years. And look at what Joe Shane's doing. He's like, I remember really smart people that I met along the way. Why not give them an interview? And if nothing else, it at least furthers the relationship between Joe, Joe Shane and Lou Anaruma. Maybe he's kind of doing him a solid by putting his name out there in, in the coaching ranks. Mm -hmm. But to your point, this is what you have to do. Like you, everyone at some point has their first head coaching interview. And it just so happens that Lou's getting it from the Giants. You, you can't be upset at retreads. You can't be upset at first-time interviewers. They're literally trying to find out who's the best person for the job. No, and when you think about it from the standpoint of what they did with the GM search, again, you can bring in your favorite number one candidate and then set the bar. This is what somebody else needs to exceed. And I think we talked about this when you go back to even the hiring of Joe Judge, where it was they were interviewing. When Judge came in, he knocked their socks off, and it was like, done deal. We love him. And there's nothing wrong with being impressed by someone. There is something wrong with being a prisoner of the moment and going, ah, You've, you've excited me. I'll take it as opposed to saying, now, remember, we had our hierarchy of who we preferred and the direction that we want to go. So you don't want to be arbitrarily blown away by Lou or by Dan Quinn or by any of these guys. You want to work all the way through the process and then come back to it and say, did anybody best our number one candidate? If not, I think you want to go with what you would call your gut, your, your first instinct. Trust that. And in this case, it's going to be up to Joe Shane to say, my first instinct is to bring along Brian Dable. Now, somebody else knocks my socks off. I have a lot of people I'm connected to, but they have to surpass what I've already known from Dable over the last handful of years. Uh, you mentioned Dan Quinn there. Quickly on him, I mean, wh where do you stand on him? I, I think, obviously, there's been this sentiment that he is well-regarded around the league, spent this last year, as we know, as the D.C. there in Dallas. But are you just, I mean, me personally, I'm just out on him because it's a combination of of going back to his Atlanta days and just saying, I, I get the success that you had there. I, I'm not going to put it all on one Super Bowl loss. However, it doesn't look great when you're the defensive-minded coach and your team comes up small in the biggest spot. Now you're taking on one of the best coaches of all time, so that plays a factor too. I, it just it doesn't get me excited for the direction that this team could go. And that could just, that could be short-sighted on my part. No, I listen, that's the tough part is people want to be excited about some of these different hires. Some people don't like Brian Dayball because he's been an offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. He had to go back to college and he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama. You know, you know, Dan Quinn just, he made it to a Super Bowl, but it felt like it was Kyle Shanahan who was the brilliance of, of the offense underneath him. Dan Quinn is known as a defensive, you know, defensive mind. And his ultimate downfall in Atlanta was that the defenses were sieve by the time he was leaving Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Listen, I, you know, I, I, I was listening to some of the, the, the pundits and, and media on, on Dan Quinn and leave it to Rex Ryan on ESPN. He's basically like, I don't understand all the Dan Quinn love. Um, Dan Quinn's defense finished 17th in total team defense this year. So they're basically saying he took a absolutely terrible, you know, 30th, 31st ranked defense the year before basically brought him to respectable levels, not a top 10 defense. And he's getting all these flowers and kudos for it, um, which I don't know, fair, fair, unfair. I, I think it's fine to, to say that you improved the defense significantly. Me, Adam, I'll, I'll be completely honest. It's, it's more about the style than it is the, the person. Dan Quinn's from Morristown, New Jersey. He's a New Jersey guy. He loved the giants growing up. It would be great to have hometown people at, you know, come back as a story, but really the way that I look at it is an offensive head coach 
it feels like that's the direction the NFC is going. And it seems like there's a ton of quality, quality defensive coordinators that are out there to be able to run the defense. If you hire Dan Quinn as the head coach, you better be sure on who you want as the offensive coordinator that needs to, you know, work with the Daniel Jones reclamation project, right? Yeah, that's fair. And I, you know, we said before on this that I'm not concerned necessarily about defensive or offensive-minded head coach, but when you go the layer deeper around who's going to come in to run the defensive side of the ball for you or the offensive side of the ball for you, then it does make a difference. And some head coaches are inclined to also be the play caller, so that can make it, you know, can impact how you look at things, certainly. But I think you're right. There, there's a lot, of, it seems like there's a lot of young creative minds out there that you could tap into. So we'll see, we'll see what comes with Dan Quinn interview. Obviously, again, he's well-regarded enough that you don't want to be short-sighted and not interview him. The last piece before we get into a little bit of um, I have two two questions here. The first one is going to be quickly. I, I want to mention Patrick Graham, I said, is going to get an interview, as is Brian Flores. Do you have is there any world quick two seconds on this one before we move into some Dable uh, talk? Any world where Brian Flores ends up on this staff as a coordinator, not as the head coach, potentially? Or do you think there's enough traction in other places around the league that that seems like everyone agrees they're surprised he was fired from Miami? There's no way he's going to take a step back even for a year or two. Yeah, I don't I don't see Flores. There's just too he's in too much demand right now that he could strike while the iron's hot. It sounded like he was, you know, a shoe in for the Texans if he wanted it. But he yep. really likes to Sean Watson. Obviously, they tried to pursue a trade when he was with Miami for felt like the entire year. Um, but, but the Texans are adamant that Deshaun Watson will not play for them ever again. So he, he's kind of lukewarm on that. It sounds like, you know, Chicago has great interest and he's got a, a potential franchise quarterback in Justin Fields there. It just feels like there's too many options available for Flores to, to be able to, to take a coordinator position. But, uh, you know, again, if it depends what, what he really wants, I think he wants to get back out there and run, run a team again and have uh, a little bit more of a say than he did in Miami. Yeah, and something to just play on these connection threads, right, from Shane and and the overlap even with Dable as well. Second, another really quick one here for you, though. Um, Jim Caldwell all of a sudden got back into the coaching conversations, maybe favored there in Chicago potentially. Um, there was – I did take a step back for a second when you saw what his record was in Detroit, a place where everyone goes to die, and yet he actually had success there before being let go. Um do you should that have been somebody that the Giants at least had a thought around because it hasn't been brought up at all? And we we talked about wanting to get younger, being progressive. The other side of it is there are some older but very well respected football minds. Um, Caldwell seems like he's kind of come back out of nowhere to now be reinserted right into those conversations. Uh, I mean, Caldwell is is a so the challenge with Caldwell is that GMs and 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 ownership don't necessarily get excited about Jim Caldwell. He's not going to invigorate the fan base, but he is this like stable foundational, like I will make sure that nothing, the car doesn't crash. Like I will continue to keep this thing, you know, steering the ship and he can get you to 500. He can get you to 10 and seven. You know, he, he has that ability to potentially make the plus, which would be a step in the right direction. I think ownership and presidents and GMs are looking to say, who's the next hot guy that could be here for 20 years that, we find our next Bill Belichick. And sometimes Jim Caldwell kind of gets lost in the shuffle as a result. That's the difference, I think, of, again, now you can do it depending on what your path forward is. I still think we're going to get to it here in a second around what the Giants need to look at this offseason. It is going to be a rebuilding process, but I think certain franchises, 
for example, the Jacksonville Jaguars could say, well, Cole will be really good just to settle things down here and get us on level footing over the next three, four years. And then, yes, we will move on to a new head coach, but that's okay for the Giants with everything that's happened in recent years. You want to feel like the next guy we hire is the guy that we hope is here for a Mike Tomlin type run, right? We want to have longevity and stability going forward. In that regard, when we look at Brian Dable, if we think that he is uh, the favorite to land the head coaching job when this is all said and done, here's some names to throw out there that that I was curious about just potentially. Bill O'Brien currently at Alabama. He obviously has overlaps and connections. That's an offensive coordinator potentially could come in there for whatever he was as a head coach GM in Houston. He still is a very good offensive mind. We know that Matt Patricia is another one that kind of crapped up to me as you go back through the overlapping timelines and saying, Again, is he a product of the Patriots? He's currently a senior advisor to the New England uh, organization. But if you slid him back into a defensive coordinator role, could that be something that the Giants would be interested in? Uh, I've said before, and I just keep bringing it up specifically to remind everybody, David Culley, David Culley, David Culley. I think he should be on the staff somewhere. And then additionally, someone like John Butler, the Buffalo defensive uh, backs coach. He was a secondary coach in Houston and also the defensive coordinator in Penn State. How far down do the of these chains do you think potentially could go, whether it's Dable or otherwise, where you're going to be pulling from potentially secondary coaches, defensive line coaches, right? They could get elevated into DC roles or other prominent positions, coordinator, uh, QB coach, assistant head coach, et cetera. So it, it's interesting that you say that. It, it, all the names that you're mentioning, funnily enough, it's just like every single one coached in New England at some point, right? Like, yeah. Br- Brian Dable, Brian Flores, Patrick Graham, like, you know, every single name that you're mentioning, Matt, Patricia, it's like, they're all New England based. And it's basically like, everyone's trying to recreate the, what the magic that New England has had. So I I completely appreciate that. You know, that there's a few things I think of one is the easiest situation for the giants. In my opinion, is if you hire Brian Dable as the head coach, Patrick Graham has expressed interest in, in staying as a defensive coordinator. So you have some consistency there w- w- with, with the voices in the room. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, someone that's slowly starting to come, uh, come up and is trending is the passing game coordinator, quarterback coach from the Buffalo bills, Ken Dorsey. Yes. So you could keep this consistency with Brian Dable, bring in Ken Dorsey as the offensive coordinator. Those two can work again together in unison and, and really focus on the offense. And they say, Patrick Graham, you have familiarity with this defense. You want to be here with the Giants. Like the players know you, they like you, you're well-respected. And that is our foundation moving forward. If if that's the case, I'd be very happy with that. I think as we talk about Brian Flores being the, the head coach, they, we don't know how things ended with him and Patrick Graham in Miami, but he he left to come take the Giants job. Is there animosity there? Would Patrick Graham grow, go? If he does, then Brian Flores has a whole new staff in place here, and we don't know who his offensive coordinator would be. It just feels like there'd be a lot more question marks with someone like Brian Flores taking over rather than someone like Brian Dable. Yeah, and again, if you're looking at these two candidates and you think that Flores is a couple of notches above Dable, it doesn't matter about the quote-unquote continuity. You'll you'll build that out together uh, with Joe Shane. But to your point, it just it's easy to follow the thread when you go from where did Shane come from, who's on that staff. One last name I'll throw out here, among other ones, just the one thing that came out when uh, Joe Shane was hired, Buffalo Bill said, we're going to work very hard to retain all of our all of our people in the front office. So this isn't going to be where now Joe Shane gets to go in and just kind of 
clear house and pull over a bunch of front office guys. So what he does there will be interesting. But among other guys within this group, uh, Hal Luther was the assistant strength and conditioning coach. I thought that was important because we've talked recently about, and you've highlighted a lot, the struggles that the Giants have had from staying healthy, avoiding injuries, and that that as much as anything, I think, is a part of this turnover too, right? The fundamental process about how you approach finding, scouting, acquiring talent, and then preparing and maintaining those players and that talent to be successful on the field. So these are even some of the lower level names that will mean nothing to us in the big picture. But but don't be surprised if you hear some random some random individuals coming out of the Buffalo Bills organization. You, you talk, it's funny that you say that, Adam, because when we say tear it down to the studs and full rebuild, we really mean full rebuild. It's not just, you know, take the coach out or take the GM. It's like, how are we working as an organization? And, you know, I, I've seen some pushback from former players and, and, and people like Carl Banks saying, you know, the Giants training medical staff is regarded as the best in the business. Like people go get second opinions from the medical staff mm-hmm. of the Giants consistently uh, been there for like four or five decades, basically. What we're talking about is the preparation of the games, right? The Giants end up being the most injured team over the last decade. They were the most injured team in 2021. It's just a consistent theme. So maybe, just maybe, I don't know. uh, Maybe I sound crazy, Adam, but maybe we try to like get a new voice in there or come up with a new system because if it's been happening for the last decade and it happened as recently as last year, maybe we could do some little tweaks to it. I I don't know. By the way, the reason why the medical staff is so good, they just have so much samples. Right. They have so many injuries to deal with. They're like, I've seen this one before. Like, oh, my God. I I, I see this every week. This is fantastic. Another another soft tissue injury? Go figure. Like, who knew, right? Finger on the pulse in that regard. Okay, so we'll see what happens there. The last piece then for me is one thing we know for sure already is that Joe Shane is the general manager of the New York football giants. And in that regard, I point to a key date and talk about some key players on this roster. June one is a massive date for Joe Shane and the New York football giants. There's a handful of guys here. We've talked about before you and I uh, with Candace Cooper at times, there's certain players that we're automatically going to move on from. You're going to take the dead cap hit to free up some money. So the first couple of guys, just really quickly here, we've talked about before Sterling Shepard, right? We know Blake Martinez coming off an injury now with a change in regime. These guys may not be able to hang on. And then a recently acquired talent in Kyle Rudolph. If you want to move off of those guys, the net balance would be 11 million in dead cap to gain 20 million in, in cap room, right? So again, plus 9 million, but you're, you've earned, that's already $11 million in dead cap that you're going to take on to get off of those guys. Those are kind of the side projects though. Two easy ones would be Barkley. Then this could happen at any point trade or otherwise. And actually a pre June one, would be uh, Nate Solder getting that $4 million. No, no concerns there. Good stuff. Here's the big box of guys, though, and I'm curious to get your take on this. James Bradbury on a post-June 1 cut or trade, 8.3 dead cap, 3.5 million in cap room, so plus 5. You get plus 6 on Logan Ryan, 3 in dead cap, 9.2 in room, and you also get plus 5 in ca- – uh, sorry, plus 5. You're going to get plus uh, 14 almost in Kenny Galladay, 3.4 dead cap, 17.75 million. The totals there, sorry to throw a lot of numbers out, is 22 million in dead cap to free up 27, I think I should be 37, 38 million dollars in cap room. Where do you stand on the talent versus the cap room ratio? Because I've talked to you before about, well, you can't just take on dead cap left, right, and center. And this is where I think the bigger names that I just mentioned there are more important 
than say moving on from the shepherds and you know Kyle Rudolphs of the world because the balance of that is a little bit too you know two to one ratio where eleven million dollars in dead cap is a lot of money even though it frees you up something whereas one or two really big price tag guys that we know are talented actually affords Joe Shane to say, I have more flexibility in free agency to spend money and bring in a couple of key pieces I might like. The the toughest one is Kenny Galladay. So Kenny Galladay, his his cap hit is 21 million next year. His dead cap is 23 million. So like by releasing him, you actually would lose two more million dollars than having him on, on the roster. So like he's not going anywhere unless That's a trade. someone trade really, Kenny Galladay. Yeah. Well if, if someone wants to take Kenny Galladay on for 21 well, million well, let, year, let me that's... let me add a caveat. By the way, this is this is a part of the equation. Is and I, I I've said this before, if not on the podcast, Joe Shane has zero attachment to these players from free agency. He didn't sign them, and he has zero attachment from the guys that he drafted. He wasn't there, so the only attachment that Joe Shane has to these guys is a dollars and cents, and what it does to his timeline of bringing in assets to improve this roster and his vision. The Kenny Galladay piece, or any of these guys, really. You may have to take an incredibly diminished value on the asset and what you get back for Kenny Galladay in a post June one trade. And the reason why Joe Shane doesn't care is because all he sees is money and a draft pick. It doesn't matter if it's a late third. He goes, yeah, I get another third round draft pick and I get $17 million. That's all that he sees. He's not even looking at Kenny Galladay, the talent, because Kenny Galladay, the talent may not even fit into what he wants to do. You're absolutely right. I mean, we talk about full economy on the roster. We, you know, we, we circle guys like Daniel Jones because the quarterback is the most important position. Yeah. We circle Saquon Barkley, because the math on it's pretty simple. It's like, if he's not on the roster, it's $8 million savings. Those are like very simple ones. It's very nuanced with guys like Kenny Galladay or James Bradbury. We talked about before because there is value, right? And, and the, and what I think Joe Shane needs to be thinking about is Dave Gettleman left us in a weird cap situation. We could cut a bunch of bait this off season and try to clean this up. My only thought behind this all for Joe Shane is just make sure that we get the two draft picks correct, do whatever you need to do in this upcoming season to fix the cap so that we have long-term flexibility to, to make any like short-term moves to be like, Hey, we, you know, maybe we can compete now if we do all this stuff. Like we've done that before we've done those retreads. We've tried to turn it around really quickly. My, my only thing on all of these different players is forget about next season. What sets us up for 2023 in terms of having cap space, having flexibility to either, go get another quarterback if Daniel Jones doesn't work out or be able to fix the offensive line if we don't get everything that we need. Like We need that flexibility, and right now it feels like we don't have that. And this is why, I've said it before, uh, yes, I I think he's a great guy, and I think he's been injured too much, and it's hard to understand it and keep him, but this is why when you look at the Sterling Shepard number, you go, yeah, I get that you could cut him and get $4 million in cap room, but you take $4 million, $8 million in cap room, but you take a $4 million dead cap hit. In the world where you're in the offseason and you draft players, but you're still going to need bodies there, yeah, I'll live with what he costs me now, to your point, because I know then it's gone. Then it's totally off the books. There's no dead cap money to deal with, and we can move forward without him. Some of these other guys, like Kenny Galladay, you go, we're still on the hook here for multiple years. So what is the quickest rip of the Band-Aid in order to start that process, and how do we get an influx of talent potentially? The last guy I'm going to mention here for you, and this is actually one, I'm not going to say it one way or the other, but again, when you come in as a new GM, it's all, it's about rebuilding in your vision. And you know that if, say, Patrick Graham gets retained, he'll, he'll give you his two cents on a lot of these guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But one player that I'll point to is also Leonard Williams. $8.3 in dead cap, 
for 19 million in cap room on a post June one trade or cut. That's $11 million that you can get that you can get on the books here for the New York football giants. And by the way, unlike some of these other names, Kenny Galladay, a little bit older for a wide receiver injuries, James Bradbury could be right on the precipice of seeing a big drop off and a heavy price tag. Everybody else injuries. Leonard Williams is just a talented guy in the prime of his career. He actually has real trade value for the New York football giants. So again, if you're looking to rebuild this thing, I'm not saying that everybody I list here has to go because you want to balance how much dead cap versus what you free up. But the best assets you have have to be the assets you're willing to trade first because that's going to be the best trade-off of what I get in return. It's why I talk about Saquon Barkley. Not only do you get $7.2 million back on the cap, you also maybe get the best possible return because a team could look at him and say he could be a piece of what we want to do here, understanding he also has injury concerns. Yeah, I mean, for me, Leonard Williams is... It would, I think it would be foolish to do anything with Leonard Williams. He's got a... If you were to do something with him, you potentially face a $35 million cap hit. Uh, like... He, he already counts towards 27 million towards the cap. It, it, it makes no sense just the way that they structured the deal. They basically in their extension said, we guarantee that Leonard Williams will be here for two years. You can move off of trade release, do whatever you want with Leonard Williams after the 2022 season. Yeah. Um, and that's where you really have the out in, in 2023, where it's basically, uh, you know, it's 8.3 million dead cap hit, but you save like 20 something million dollars. So like, if you really wanted to move off of him, you could then, yeah. uh, but, but again, all options should be on the table. I think it'd be really foolish to to take a massive cap hit on someone like Leonard Williams and then not have the cash to like fill the bucket up. But but again, it's all about making sure whatever you decide to do with this roster, get it so that it's healthy and you have flexibility for the 2023 season. Because yeah, we we may be able to compete next year, but don't go into it with the idea of like I need to do whatever I can with our salary cap to compete next year. And then all of a sudden we're in the same mess in 2023. Yeah. I think you make the little moves that feel calculated, that feel responsible and that only sacrifice this upcoming year as much as possible, right? Sacrifice this season. And that can mean keeping some of these guys there because it makes more sense to cut, release, trade, whatever in the next off season. So whatever the process is that gets you to the cleanest break and the and the fastest refresh of what you need to accomplish, that's what the goal has to be. But I, but I do think the biggest takeaway should be don't look at anybody on this roster, barring some things like Leonard Williams. I brought him up specifically to your point, Andy, about it's not just this year and what you free up, but then what does it cost you the following season, right? There's always a best out date for a lot of these guys. But don't look at anyone on the roster on either side of the ball and say, oh, well, he's too talented. That doesn't exist. That does not exist this offseason for Joe Shane and for the Giants. It's what is the best, smartest move to get us reset as quickly as possible? And you mentioned it in there as well, the draft. What you accomplish at the top end of this draft, how you allocate your assets, that's going to be a big piece of how Joe Shane looks at this and how we look at trying to reset and rebuild this roster. That being the case, man, I'm still I'm filled with nothing but positive vibes because it feels like we have the right guy making decisions for us. I'm excited to see. We said a couple more coaching interviews to come here. I'm not going to be surprised, and especially now, knowing that Brian Dable and the Bills have lost and are out of the playoffs, if that's their guy, I would expect them to look at, at whatever other candidates they want to get in for their first interviews and do exactly like they did with the GM. Ramp it back up. Top three head coaching guys. Let's get them back in for a second one. Don't be shocked if Dable's the first one in the door. Somebody has to blow your socks off or boom, by the end of this week, we have our new GM, our new head coach, and everything starts to ramp up for the New York football giants, which is an incredibly exciting feeling if you if you've been following this team for the last near decade feeling like 
when's it going to be, when's it going to feel good again? When, when we, when do we get to have some optimism about what goes on in an off season? Not this sense of, Hey, how bad do you think they'll screw this one up? You, you know, the, the one thing I'm going to be looking for during the week and we'll update everyone as we go along is, is this the full list of candidates that the giants want yes. to interview, right? Like you've heard names trickle in and out around here. They've got Quinn lined up today. They've got Brian Flores lined up later in the week. They got Patrick Graham lined up. Is there anyone else that the giants are, are interested in interviewing and keep this in mind, Adam, now, uh, because the divisional round is over, if there's anyone that's still currently coaching in the playoffs that you really like, you do not have the ability to interview them until after uh, they get towards to the Super Bowl because now's a dead period if you haven't interviewed anyone to be, begin with. So if there's anyone that comes up from, from this, it's going to be all people that have finished their seasons and maybe the Giants want to take a look elsewhere. And by the way, if it had been someone on what could have been the Packers, though they're eliminated now or the Rams or any of these other staffs, they would have tried to do what they did with Dable and with Leslie Frazier, squeeze them in before the weekend so that they knew we've, we've secured that and we can have a sense of them if we have to push the pause button on this process. So hopefully, as long as there's no candidates that they'd like to wait for, they've already at least gotten their foot in the door with the guys that they want to talk to. We'll see how it all breaks down, man. It's it's an exciting time to be a Giants fan. That's all I know for sure. And it's exciting to see where the host battle goes on the show because we'll be updating that later in the week. In the meantime, follow us on social media. The YouTube numbers continue to grow. The podcast numbers continue to grow. We're ramping it up wet and wild. And uh, listen, one last quick little footnote on uh, one Jim Caldwell. You said he's this bland just, you know, middle of the road kind of guy. It called me back to Spaceballs. I'm just plain yogurt. We'll be back again talking more things New York football giants. And as Andy McAweeks wants, needs, and nay demands the people know. As always, let's go big blue.